I left school knowing really nothing. When you're out there and you're not doing a residency and you're not sort of pursuing more education, you realize that you really don't know anything. You must listen. Welcome to the Drilling Millions Podcast. The Drilling Millions Podcast. Lessons from some of the most successful dentists on the planet. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. Presented by Sage Dental Partners, your practice transition team. That escalated quickly. Coming to you from Toronto, podcasting to the world. Please welcome, Please welcome Akil Chawla. This week's episode of the Drilling Millions podcast is with Dr. Dan Hagee. Dan is an awesome guy, absolute beast when it comes to ceramic implants, uh, super unique in, in his take on uh, how implants uh, should be placed and the, the materials used to uh, to place them. Uh, in this podcast, we talk about his early career, how he was I think the youngest dentist to ever uh, have graduated from U of T and his takes on mentorship and the importance mentors play in, in one's career. Great conversation. Uh, Dan's a good buddy of mine. So we had a fun time recording. So I hope you enjoy. All right. So let's talk about your uh, your early career. Uh, your website claims you're really one of the youngest dentists to, to get your doctorate. So walk me through how that happened. So uh, it was fortuitous. So I, uh, I did my undergrad at uh, York University and got accepted to dental school uh, miraculously after two years um and so it it was at the time now i think i think a year or two after i did it it changed to a three-year minimum um but uh, but i got lucky i also fast-tracked through high school so getting into dental school uh i was like just turning 19. right what the hell that was 18 still wearing diapers getting, still still <laughs> in diapers yeah so um so the dental school was dental school was fun uh i mean i had a i had a great experience in dental school you're going through it so you know what i mean like it's stressful it's hard it's this but i always had the outlook that this is what i wanted to do uh i i knew i wanted to hit the ground running start to work because this is why I picked dentistry. I didn't need a residency. I didn't need to do anything. I could just go I school. I, you know, I never liked school, right? So I just wanted to, to just get it done. Uh, so lo and behold, 2003, they give me a license. Uh, and I thought it was a license to practice dentistry, but I was wrong, right? When I finished school, uh, I realized that the license was it was really a license to learn because I left school knowing really nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can relate to that. So you, you kind of, you go through the requirements and you're struggling to get the crown and the bridge and the denture and everything in place. But then when you're out there and you're not doing a residency and you're not sort of pursuing more education, you realize that you really don't know anything. And all these concepts that you leave school with, um are good like you have a foundation but to actually do stuff it, it, it's really really challenging so my first year out i uh, was associating about an hour north of toronto uh, great guy great mentor helped me held my hand throughout throughout it all but to me it wasn't so much about work it was more about learning so it was courses every weekend i was getting uh uh, getting really familiar with what I liked in dentistry, where I wanted to develop more. 
And then at the time it was more aesthetics, right? Because it was mm -hmm. a big thing, 2003, aesthetic dentistry, you know, or just, we never learned about veneers and bonding and all these things. So I really took a, took a liking of it uh, and kind of pushed through on the aesthetic and the restorative side. Um, along the way, kind of shifted uh, some associateships here and there, and then fell into implant dentistry. Right? Um, early on in dental school, I, uh, I did some work in the perio department. So I always had a connection with implant dentistry. I always liked it. Uh, but I always thought kind of like a UFT grad that implants are for specialists, right? Like <laughs> we, shouldn't yeah. be touching, we shouldn't be touching these things. Uh, and I was assisting, I was assisting some of the great periodontists of today at UFT who were going through the program at the time. Uh, so, so I learned a lot. I knew a lot, but I never really thought this would be something for me. Uh, but with my license to learn, uh, you kind of get out there and you get educated and you get to learn from the, the best that are doing it. And you come to realize that you, you can try. And, and I'm always one to sort of jump into things. So jumped into implant dentistry and haven't looked back since. Um, I, uh, I built a, a practice from scratch. Uh, I bought practices to sort of join in. I've sold practices. I've sort of done through the gamut of, uh, of what you can do as a practitioner. It's been nearly 20 years now. Uh, in the business, right? So um, okay. right. I've, gone, I've gone through it all. Uh, but uh, being the youngest uh, was was a challenge for the first year. Uh, but past that, um, I'm, I'm, I think that uh, when I got my fellowship with the Academy of General Dentistry, when I came up on the podium, they also said, Dan Hagee, the youngest to ever receive the, the fellowship for the Academy of General <laughs> Industry. And I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm getting too old for this youngest stuff. <laughs> um, so, uh, so it was, it was just fortuitous being the yeah. youngest of anything. Well, I'm so, I'm so jealous of people that um, are young. I was having this conversation with someone um, last week. Uh, someone was my girlfriend. She was in such, she's like, why don't you mention me? Uh, so I had a conversation with my girlfriend about, uh, uh, like just the, the the beauty of being young because I have a classmate that was born in 2000 and I'm born in 97. My girlfriend's a year younger than me in dental school and born in 97 as well. So it's like when you have age on your side, you can just do so many things because now it's like, okay, well, I'm 25. By the time I graduate, I'm going to be 26, 27. You know, I got to start getting my act together. I can't really just you know, start spiraling at that age. Like I got to at least have somewhat of a direction. Um, and I, I kind of look back to when I was in my undergrad and I was like, wow, I really kissed those years away because I was so concentrated about getting into dental school. I could have networked. I could have, you know, started a, a side hustle. I could have done a million things because I had time on my side. You know, if you're 17, 18, 19, who cares if something fails, right? But when you're like 28, 29, 30, like you start getting into that realm of, okay, like, your decisions stop just impacting you and start impacting others. I, I think I agree with you on that, but um, I disagree about the threshold. I think the threshold of being able to take these risks and learn and kind of go through, uh, it's no longer like in your 20s. I think you have through your 30s, right? It's, it's really until 
um, if, if, you're, if you're establishing sort of a family and you have somebody under you that's kind of relying on you is the time when you, when you want to uh, mitigate those risks and, yeah. uh, and sort of be on a safer path. Although it's, it's a misnomer because we take risks all the time. Uh, but I think that your 20s and your early 30s are really the time to take those risks and to try things out and to and to experiment and to see what you like. Like this, there is no safe path. Like once you set um, something in stone in your 20s, you're kind of stuck too, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you didn't make the right decision. Maybe you should have done something else. So I think that threshold, you still have time you still have time with that there's <laughs> well the, the the front the front page of the globe um about two or three days ago i think it was on uh wednesday or thursday was about foreign trained doctors like doctors that went to um ireland um australia to study medicine and having a hard time coming back and that was a path that i was considering taking uh many many years ago and i was like thinking man like if i made a decision when i was in high school about where i basically be locking myself into until I'm, you know, mid to late twenties. Um, that's a really tough gig. Yeah. That's a really, really tough gig and, and not being able to be sort of as agile. I'm still in dental school, so I'm still sort of locked in, but um, I just wonder like when you were in your twenties and thirties, what sort of risks were you taking to further your career? Uh, so, I mean, I got into dentistry really early on, right? So the risks, a lot of them have to do with the directions within dentistry. Um, so, I mean, I mean, the first, these, these decisions, they, they seem like big decisions at the time, but they're really small decisions. Like when, when I look back on it, like, should I be associating here? Should I be doing a residency? Should I be specializing at this point? Uh, am I going to start a practice close to home? Or am I going to start a practice downtown Toronto? Should I be starting a practice? Should I be buying a practice? Like all these things, like we consider them as a risky move, right? But they're not. Like now, if I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to, I have an established practice. I have a footprint uh, in what uh, I want to do. I have an education institute. I have certain things that I established if I'm going to say now, hey, I'm going to move to Barcelona and go practice there, right? That's, <laughs> to me, that is, is now it's the, it's the ultimate in riskiness, right? Because I'm, um, I'm still sort of confined to, to the dentistry that I love doing, but I can kind of stretch it to different places. So I think that um, we, we, take, we tend to take these decisions as uh, big decisions in the moment, and we should. But over the long run, within our profession, these decisions are really small, right? It's really what we do with things and how we kind of push things forward. Um, so uh, to answer the question, have I taken a lot of risks? I don't think so. I don't think there's been a lot of risk. I think it was all calculated and I kind of knew where I was going. Um, and uh, hopefully I got there. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, speaking to a common friend, both you and I have Alex. Um, I know yeah. you're too humble to say this, but you know, I think I think when when he had made the introduction, he had said there are only a handful of dentists that place implants for oral surgeons, <laughs> and he mentioned you as one of them. So <laughs> I won't ask you to comment on that, but um, it makes me wonder why didn't you specialize in like perio or or prosto? During my journey, I considered specializing, and I and I always thought if I were to specialize, I would do perio pros. I like too much about dentistry to, to have focused on one thing. And I realized too, that in 
liking implant dentistry, which is what, what I enjoy the most out of my day is placing and uh, to a certain degree restoring uh, implants. There is no real specialty to this, right? You can say that oral surgery or perio um, have a surgical focus, but it's not really the specialty of implants. There is no specialty to implants. Uh, the specialties do the bulk of implants because in North America, this was the, the, the history. That's where Brennamar came in and said oral surgeons are going to place these things, prosthodontists are going to restore it. But in terms of the education that a specialty has in any of these uh, implant disciplines, it's, it's not more than... Uh, I mean, I'm going to get uh, uh, crucified for saying this, but it's not more than what I took um, as CE after the fact, after graduating. Um, so I, I think specialists are phenomenal, or the oral surgeons and the, and the periodontists are phenomenal in their surgical acumen. Um, there's, there's a lot of education that is taken um, from these programs, but it's not necessarily implant focused. So I always thought... If I'm specializing, what am I really doing it for if what I want to do is focus on dental implants? And honestly, I think a general practitioner with experience and time behind them has more to provide the patients in terms of care on an implant basis than, than a, a given specialist can. So th that's, that's really the, the crux of it. I, I didn't think it was worth the time. Like 100% academia only takes you so far, right? And a lot of the times, like, it's almost I, I equated to if you want to learn about crypto, right, or, or Bitcoin, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole too far. But if you want to <laughs> learn about if you want to learn about crypto, you're going to have a lot more fun learning about it on your own terms, through Wikipedia, through Google, through YouTube. And you're probably going to learn a lot better than if you go to an institution and they're like, okay, let's start with a blockchain. What is a bit, right? And it's like, you hammer this like, very small irrelevant point to a point to you know to the fault of not having the practical knowledge which i've heard repetitively from a lot of people who are specialists which is you know an oral surgeon how much better are you at taking out a one one than like a general dentist who's been doing it his entire career i don't know yeah well, I, I look at i look at these specialties uh, especially oral surgery that is really underutilized in, in the community, right? Because you look at these guys, they're trained with, uh, with orthognathic surgery, they're trained with trauma, with cancers, with, with treatments that are, that are really involved, that there's no way that somebody like me will ever do something like that, right? That's yeah. not within the scope of my practice. But taking out a wisdom tooth certainly is because in most of the time, there's, there's not much challenge. And to these guys, Taking out a wisdom tooth is really, really simple. Yeah. Um, so it's um, it's something that I think is happens in a, very wastefully in the community because there's not enough uh, of the skills of what an oral surgeon can do that's being utilized in the community. Um, but for us as general dentists, we can do we can pretty much do everything, right? Mm. Uh, and that's and that's what's attractive about general dentistry is that you don't have to do everything. You can kind of pick and choose what it is that you like to do. If you like to do endos and that's all you like to do, you don't have to specialize in endodontics necessarily, but you could be the endodontist. You could be the GP endodontist that got really good at it, right? Uh, and that's what general dentistry gives you is the avenue to really hone what you like and be really, really, really good at it. 
You must listen. Welcome to the Drilling Millions Podcast. The Drilling, Drilling Millions, Millions Podcast. Lessons from some of the most successful dentists on the planet. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. Presented by Sage Dental Partners. Your practice transition team. That escalated quickly. Coming to you from Toronto. Podcasting, Podcasting to the, the world. world. Please welcome. Please welcome. Akil Chawla. 